So this is kind of strange. Most holiday movies are designed to make us feel good. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some odd facts behind some of our favorite holiday films that make them a little bit weirder than we may have thought. Strange, right? Or maybe not. What do you think about Christmas movies? Kind of strange? Or not at all? Hello, and welcome to Kind of Strange. I'm your host, Grace, and this is a place where you can get cozy, a little creeped out, and talk with me about things that are weird, unusual, spooky, and kind of strange. Welcome back to Kind of Strange. So it's December 1st as I'm recording this, and today's episode is just going to be talking about some popular Christmas holiday movies and some weird and unusual facts or behind-the-scenes information about them. It may be said that you can tell a lot about a person by their favorite holiday movie. So what's yours? My favorites I will share at the end. But I'm going to go through some well-known holiday classics, and I'm going to go chronologically and talk about just some interesting information about these movies that you may not have known. But before we get into that, I wanted to quickly go over a little bit of the history behind the making of Christmas movies. The first Christmas movie ever made came out in 1898, and it was called Santa Claus. This was a two-minute British film, and it's actually thought that it was strange that it was called Santa Claus because in England, Santa Claus is traditionally referenced as Father Christmas. But it's thought maybe they were trying to appeal to the American audience as well. It's really not known, but this was the first Christmas film, and it was only two minutes. And I believe in this film, the Santa actually brought the Christmas tree down the chimney with him. And this is something that we don't think of Santa doing these days. But back then, it was thought that Santa would bring the Christmas tree down the chimney as well as gifts. Following this movie was The Christmas Dream, which came out in 1900, and that was from France, and it was double the time at four minutes. Then the United Kingdom was back at it, and they released Scrooge, or it's sometimes referred to as Marley's Ghost. This came out in 1901, and it was only a little over six minutes, so they gradually get a little bit longer. The Night Before Christmas became the first release in the United States in 1905, and that was nine minutes long. And more and more movies started to be released. They really started to become popular between the 1930s and 1950s with The Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, and White Christmas, among others. During this time, Christmas music was really taking off as well, and it's likely because film and music was more widely accessible by this time. Okay, so let's get into some different popular Christmas movies and some trivia or weird facts about them. First, and this is just a generalization, many Christmas movies don't actually include Christmas Day. Yes, of course, some of them do, but a lot of them will actually just include the lead-up to Christmas Day, and they may end on Christmas Eve night. I'm not going to be including all Christmas movies, and I wish I could include more, but for now, I'm just going to be including some Christmas movies, so I'm sorry if you have a favorite Christmas movie and it's not discussed in this episode. But the first movie we're going to talk about is It's a Wonderful Life. This came out in 1946 with the rating PG, and it has a rating of 8.6 on IMDb, which is very high. 
I think it's the highest rated film on this list. I'm also going to be referring to IMDb ratings. So in case you don't know, IMDb is an acronym for Internet Movie Database, and it's a site or an app where you can look up pretty much any movie, any actor, any director, writer, whatever, and it will give you information about that movie, who was in it, what year it came out. And I've been using it for years. I used to use it back in the day when they had discussion boards. And I remember being so sad (laughs) when they got rid of the discussion boards because I would go to those after a movie and read what other people had to say about it. And I loved that. I don't know why they got rid of them. I'm still sad about it. But that is what I'm referring to. People will rate it. And then the movie receives an average rating based on the ratings people give it. So it's out of 10. And it's very rare for a movie on there to be above a 9. I don't think any movies have 10. I'll have to look into that. But I'm just going to read the IMDb descriptions for each of these movies. But this one says, An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. And here's a shocking fact for you. I've actually never seen this movie. I don't know why, but for some reason, I've never seen this movie, which that's strange in itself. I really need to watch it at some point. I read a book recently that was inspired by this movie and I think followed a lot of the plot, obviously, in a different way. But yeah, I really do need to watch it at some point. (laughs) I'm disappointed in myself. But for this film, they actually had to create new snow in order to film it. Because prior to this, a lot of times movies would use cornflakes as snow. And they also used asbestos. So for this film, the cornflakes were too loud and they were going to be having the actors walk through it and they really needed it to be quiet so that it wasn't making this loud noise as cornflakes would when used as fake snow. So they ended up using fomite, which is a firefighting chemical, and then they combined that with soap and water and they pumped it through a wind machine at high pressure and that mimicked snow falling and it actually worked out well for them. Now even with all that fake snow, this movie was filmed in the summer of 1946 and it would get so hot that they actually got to the point where they had to stop filming for a little bit because it was just too hot. You can actually see some of the actors sweating in the film. (laughs) For instance, the scene where the main character George is running through a snow-swept Bedford Falls was actually filmed on an extremely hot July day. Now, after this movie was made, two of the writers for this film called the film quote-unquote horrid, and they actually refused to see it And that's because the movie was based on a short story called The Greatest Gift, and they believed that it differed so much that they didn't even want to see it. And The Greatest Gift was actually inspired by The Christmas Carol. During the filming, James Stewart, who played the main character of George Bailey, was actually suffering from his own PTSD. And this was as a result of World War II. But when he was filming, he told friends that he actually related a lot to his character, and he found the role cathartic. The next movie on this list is Miracle on 34th Street, and this came out in 1947. It's not rated, and it has a 7.9 on IMDb. The premise for this. After a divorced New York mother hires a nice old man to play Santa Claus at Macy's, she's startled by his claim to be the genuine article, which means that he's saying that he is, in fact, the real Santa Claus. I actually just watched the remake of this last week. And I feel like the remake, at least, you would think it's a movie for kids, but really it's, I feel like it's more for adults because of the plot. It's a little bit slow. I found it interesting this time around, but I remember finding it boring when I was a kid. But for this movie, the original, not the remake, 
the parade scenes that were shot because they have a scene happening with the Macy's Day Parade that happens on Thanksgiving in New York City. Those scenes were shot during the 1946 Macy's Day Parade. So this was the real parade that was happening, and it meant that all of those scenes that were shot had to be filmed that day. Now, the actor who played Kris Kringle in the movie, the character of Santa Claus, he actually was put into the Macy's Day Parade as Santa because they needed him to play that role as part of the movie, and they needed to film him doing that. So a lot of people that were watching this parade had no idea that this was the actor who was going to be playing Santa in Miracle on 34th Street. Or when they watched it later, they didn't realize that he had actually been in the parade that day. John Payne, who was one of the actors, he played Fred Gailey. He loved the movie so much that years later, he actually wrote a sequel to it. And he was planning on sending the sequel to people, but unfortunately, he died before he ever got the opportunity to. Now, unlike It's a Wonderful Life, it was actually very cold during filming this movie. It got so cold that the cameras would freeze on several occasions, and across the street from one of the filming locations, there was a woman that lived there, and she offered to have the crew come into her house to let them warm up and get out of the cold for a bit. Now, because of this woman's nice gesture, Maureen O'Hara, who plays the mother in the film, took this woman and her husband to a restaurant that was called 21, which was a popular restaurant in New York City. It opened in the 1920s, and many famous people visited it. It was first a speakeasy, so it was very popular and well-known. And this woman was so excited that she was going there that she couldn't even eat anything, and she could only drink milk. Which I don't think, if I had no appetite, I would go for milk, but I also don't like milk or any type of milk. <laughs> Alright, that's a personal thing, doesn't really matter, but I just feel like it's it's an odd choice. Natalie Wood played the little girl in the film, and during the entirety of the filming, she thought the actor that played Chris Kringle, who was Edmund Gwen, was the real Santa Claus. So the entire time she was filming with him, the scenes they had together, she thought that he was the real Santa Claus. Now after filming wrapped up, there was a rap party, and she actually saw him out of his Santa costume and realized that he was not the real Santa Claus. And I find this so adorably sweet, but also really sad. Like, that must have been a sad moment for her, realizing that this man was not, in fact, Santa. And she had thought, I don't know how long the filming took, but for quite some time, she believed that she was in the presence of the real Santa Claus. And then suddenly she learned she wasn't. Valentine Davies, who is the writer of the story that the movie is based on, got the idea for the movie when he was Christmas shopping through crowds of people for his wife. He was noticing just the hustle and bustle, all of the people, just this obsession with commercialism and gifts and buying for people, and it crossed his mind, you know, what would the real Santa Claus think of all of this? And that in turn inspired the movie. Macy's, which is featured in the film, as well as Gimbel's, which was a similar department store that closed in 1987, had to be approached for permission to be used in the film, so they approached them. And they were like, sure, we give permission, but only after we get to see the final cut of the film. So that was a big risk, obviously, because if they saw the final cut and didn't approve of it, then the movie would have had to go through extensive edits. But luckily, they did watch the movie, and they really enjoyed it and gave their approval. So a couple of facts about the remake, Miracle on 34th Street, which came out in 1994. It's rated PG and has a 6.6 .6 on IMDb. Macy's actually declined having their name used in this film, and I did notice that when I was watching it last week. I was like, hmm, I wonder if they didn't want to be in the film, because obviously they're showing, you know, what's supposed to be the Macy's Day Parade, but it's under a different, I forget what they used, is it, I was going to say Kohl's, but no, that's an actual <laughs> store. Although I don't think it was in 1994, 
Okay, it actually was Kohl's. It's just spelled differently than the Kohl's that exist today. It's C-O-L-E, so... <laughs> okay. But they used that as the department store in the movie instead. But anyways, Macy's declined having their name used in that film, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if they just didn't want to be associated with the remake, if they thought the remake wasn't going to be good. But when the movie was originally released, 20th Century Fox actually offered a full refund to anyone that didn't like the movie, and I'm not sure why they did this. Maybe they were just nervous remaking the film and they thought their movie was really good so they figured they would offer a full refund because they figured most people wouldn't want a refund and they were partially correct but there were 1,500 tickets refunded or at least turned in for a refund but you never know people might have just said they didn't like it in order to get their money back (laughs) the next movie is actually a tv special and it's a charlie brown christmas which came out in 1965 it's rated tvg and it has an 8.3 on IMDb. So the description for this movie is, Depressed at the commercialism he sees around him, Charlie Brown tries to find a deeper meaning to Christmas. So the producers actually didn't like this Christmas special at all. They thought it wasn't going to be well-received, and they came up with an idea to hopefully make it better received. They thought that adding a laugh track would help. At the time, laugh tracks were pretty common, But the writer, Charles M. Schultz, did not like this idea at all. He did not think a laugh track should be added. And he actually walked out of the room because he disagreed so adamantly. So they came to a bit of a compromise. They created a version of this special with a laugh track, and they figured that they would use it if the original version that they were already planning on using wasn't well-received. But they didn't have to use it because people loved it, as is, without a laugh track. (laughs) And you know, the producers, CBS producers, they were also horrified that this movie wasn't going to be well-received because it was this animated Christmas special, and it had a really blatant message, which was very biblical. You know, there's a lot of biblical references in this Christmas special, and they didn't think it was going to go over well, and they were very shocked that it did get such great reviews because of that, and also because they just thought that it wasn't good, it needed a laugh track, so... Clearly, they weren't right, (laughs) and it did quite well. And one more thing about this movie is the girl who did the voice of Sally Brown hadn't actually learned to read yet, so when she was recording her voice, they were actually giving her lines, usually one word or syllable at a time, which I don't know how many lines she has in this movie, but because of this, some of the characters' lines are a little bit choppy, and that's because she was being given her lines, like one word or syllable at a time. Next, we're jumping forward a bit to 1990, and we have Home Alone, which came out in 1990. It's rated PG, and it has a rating of 7.7 on IMDb. The description for this movie is an 8-year-old troublemaker is mistakenly left home alone, and he must defend his home against a pair of burglars on Christmas Eve. This movie also has a second part, which I have a couple of facts for as well, Home Alone 2, and there's been so many Home Alone remakes, sequels, I don't think like actual direct sequels related to the first film or second film with the same people involved, but there's a lot of Home Alone movies out there. There's Home Alone 3, but there's a different boy in that one. Some of the Home Alone movies, like we watched one recently, and they were actually referring to the character as Kevin and acting as if the other characters in the film were characters from the original one. But it was a lot newer, and it was really strange, and it didn't make sense. Some of the remakes are just like similar Home Alone situations, but the one where they were referring to the characters by the original names was really, it was definitely strange. Okay, so 
Joe Pesci, who plays Harry, one of the burglars in the film, actually avoided Macaulay Culkin on set, and Macaulay Culkin plays the main character Kevin, the boy in the film. So he avoided him because he wanted Macaulay Culkin to think that he was mean. (laughs) And Joe Pesci was actually used to being in movies where he would swear a lot, so on set, he was often swearing in his scenes, and they told him to say frig instead so that he wasn't swearing because obviously this was a family movie, he couldn't be doing that. So a lot of his muttering that you hear in the movie, if you've seen the movie, is an attempt of him not swearing. Eshi, again, played Harry, and then Daniel Stern played Marv. Those were the two burglars, and they were actually friends prior to this movie, and they had really great chemistry because of that on set. There was a point when Daniel Stern was almost replaced because they told him they would pay him for six weeks, and then they actually needed him to film for eight, but they said they weren't going to pay him for the extra two weeks, so instead they got somebody else to come in. It's all a little strange, but that person didn't have the same kind of chemistry, so they ended up paying him to come back, and he came back and filmed his role. And him and Joe Pesci didn't really think the movie was going to be this big success, so they decided to really be over the top with their characters, and actually worked out great for the film. There's a scene in the movie where a tarantula is put on the face of Daniel Stern, who plays Marv, and they actually made a fake one to do this scene. But when it came down to it, they ended up using a real one, and they put it on his face. And interestingly, I actually looked into this because I recently watched this movie as well. And his scream is so perfect for a movie, but that's actually his real scream. They didn't have to, like, go over that after it wasn't added in production. The scream you hear in the movie is Daniel Stern's real scream. And he was worried about doing it because he thought it would startle the spider. (laughs) So he had to be reassured that that wouldn't be an issue. There is a part in the movie where the character of Kevin finds a picture of his older brother Buzz's girlfriend and he, you know, makes fun of it. So in the picture, it's actually a boy wearing a wig and the boy was the son of the movie's art director. They thought that it would be mean to use a real girl and then have Kevin react to it in the way that he does (laughs) negatively. So they used a boy instead and kind of made, you know, made it silly. On set, everyone thought that Macaulay Culkin was very mature and professional. Even though he was only nine, he often seemed like he was a lot older. He was only allowed to work on set for five hours at a time, so a lot of the scenes were planned around his schedule, and there's a lot of shots that are just him to make this easier. And it does make sense. I mean, he is home alone, so. (laughs) But he actually had a stunt double that was a 30-year-old man who was quite short, but I found that interesting. And Catherine O'Hara, who plays his mother in the film and in Home Alone 2, she said that Macaulay Culkin still refers to her as mom when they talk. (laughs) He calls her mom, and she said this in 2014, so clearly that's, you know, something that has been going on for a while. And the part was actually written specifically for Macaulay Culkin by John Hughes. He had worked with him previously, he thought he would be good for this film, When director Chris Columbus came on board, he was like, no, I don't know if we should use him. So they auditioned other actors because he didn't want to, I guess, seem like a pushover by using that actor that John Hughes had previously worked with. I'm not sure why that would make it seem that way, but apparently he thought that. But they auditioned actors and they auditioned Macaulay Culkin and he realized that he actually was the perfect fit for Kevin and he agreed that they had to cast him. Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran Culkin, actually plays his cousin in the movie. I believe the character's name is Fuller, but he's the younger cousin who is always drinking Pepsi, and (laughs) uh, that's actually his brother. The exterior of the home was filmed in Chicago, but the inside of that house was too small, 
So they actually use an abandoned high school, which I didn't know that. And it looks like a house like in the film. So it's just kind of crazy to me that that was actually a high school. The film that Kevin watches in the movie, you know, the movie of the guy like yelling and shooting his gun and stuff, and he watches it several times, is called Angels with Filthy Souls. And it's fictional. It's not a real movie. And they filmed it specifically for Home Alone, and it was the first thing that they filmed for this movie. And Home Alone was the highest grossing movie of the year 1990 in the United States. Now let's move on to Home Alone 2, which came out in 1992. It's rated PG, and it has a 6.8 on IMDb. This movie is a similar premise, except this time Kevin is in New York City, but he's still dealing with the burglars. So in order to get permission to use the Plaza Hotel, which is used in the movie, Donald Trump had to give permission, and he would only agree if he could be in the movie. Now later, Matt Damon came out and said that this happened with a lot of other films as well that took place on property owned by Donald Trump. So they would spend some time filming him, and then they would end up cutting the scene. But the scene with Donald Trump is actually kept in this movie, so he's still in it now. And I believe a year or two ago... Yeah, I think maybe 2021. They were talking about getting rid of that scene, just removing it from Home Alone 2. So if you were to watch it on, say, Disney Plus or something, his scene would not be in it. But I don't think that they did that because I <laughs> watched this movie as well uh, recently, and that scene was definitely still in there. Macaulay Culkin was paid $4.5 million to be in this movie, which was the biggest salary ever for an 11-year-old actor. Now, this one's pretty crazy. Uh, the pigeon scene, when the burglars are attacked by pigeons, they actually covered Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern in birdseed. <laughs> then they used 300 real pigeons to just, you know, attack them. And Daniel Stern, who again played Marv, said at one point <laughs> a pigeon flew into his mouth and that it was revolting. So I can imagine that would be revolting. I did not know that was like a real, you know, pigeon attack scene <laughs> that was happening in that movie. There's a toy store that Macaulay Culkin visits, and later the burglars are trying to rob, and in one scene when he's there, all the children that were filmed in that toy store scene were actually allowed to keep their favorite toy as part of their salary, even though I don't believe a lot of the toys actually worked. And Macaulay Culkin actually was able to keep his talk boy, which is the recording device he uses throughout the movie, and that was designed specifically for Home Alone 2. But it was so popular, the movie and the talk boy, that a company ended up picking it up and selling it as an actual toy. And they also made a talk girl, which was, you know, purple and whatever other color. And I actually had one. I don't know if I had a talk boy or a talk girl. I feel like I would have wanted the talk boy. But I had one and it was very exciting. <laughs> I think I got it for Christmas. The next film is The Nightmare Before Christmas, which came out in 1993. It's rated PG and it has a 7.9 on IMDb. And I know that this movie is debatable as being a Christmas movie, or is it a Halloween movie? Uh, <laughs> but it's about Jack Skeleton, who is the king of Halloween Town, and he discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to Halloween Town cause confusion. So this is a movie you can watch during Halloween time, during Christmas time, or just, you know, whenever you feel like it. <laughs> but it actually does take place after Halloween. I believe it's the day after Halloween that the movie begins. Or does it technically start on Halloween? I don't know. But I believe it technically begins the day after Halloween. So I don't know. Wouldn't it be a Christmas movie? I watch it around Halloween time if I'm going to watch it. But that's just me. <laughs> now, it was inspired by a poem that was written by Tim Burton. And this poem was inspired by him being out 
I think probably the day after Halloween or sometime between Halloween and Christmas, and he saw the Halloween merchandise coming down and then being replaced with Christmas stuff. And he just thought it was an interesting juxtaposition to be having all of this, you know, scary stuff next to all this <laughs> merry holiday stuff. And he also had some inspiration from the Rudolph movie as well as The Grinch. Now, one minute of footage for this movie would take around a week to shoot. So the whole movie took about three years to make with a hundred people working on it. So it was a slow process. Tim Burton is very protective of the film and he's turned down sequels because he wants to maintain what he calls the purity of it. I did see something recently that there is going to be a live action remake, but I don't believe that's true. I think he's very against doing any remakes or sequels of this movie, which I mean, it is a good thing. Yes, it would be very interesting to watch a well-done live-action remake of The Nightmare Before Christmas. But at the same time, I feel like the movie industry now is just so bogged down by remakes, sequels, prequels, that sometimes it's just nice to leave a movie as it was. And I love when there's a new original movie that has no ties to previous films. Even then, many movies are based on books that have been written. But I'm personally okay with that. I just feel like it's becoming rare for movies to be original and not attached to previous movies. And many movies from like the 90s are being redone or they're having sequels 30 years later, which again is fine, but I don't know. I want to see some new stuff. Like, does anybody else feel that way? Especially because a lot of these sequels and remakes, like I don't, they're not better than the original. So it's kind of, it always feels like a little bit of a letdown. Anyways, back to Nightmare Before Christmas. Danny Elfman wrote the songs for the movie, and he also sang them, but there's actually a different voice actor used for the part of Jack Skeleton. So his singing is done by Danny Elfman, but there's a different actor that does his voice, and they originally had Danny Elfman doing it, but he sounded too stiff, so they couldn't use him. Now, there is some controversy around whose movie this really is. So Tim Burton had the original idea for the film, he wrote that poem, he wrote the script, but the actual directing and producing was done by Henry Selick. And he said that Tim Burton really spent no more than a total of eight days actually working on the film. So there is some resentment there, a little bit of bitterness or whatever you want to call it, because it's always looked at as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. But there was another person playing a huge role in this. So there's been a little bit of, you know, back and forth on that one. The next movie is The Santa Claus, which came out in 1994. It's rated PG and it has a 6.5 on IMDb. This is about a man who inadvertently makes Santa fall off of his roof on Christmas Eve and finds himself magically recruited to take his place as Santa Claus. So Disney actually has a strict rule that they will not hire anybody that is an ex-con, but Tim Allen was hired for the lead role of this film, even though he had actually been to prison before. I believe it had something to do with cocaine, uh, something along those lines, but they made an exception for him because they really wanted him to play this role. And this was actually his first leading role in a film. He was well known at the time. He was in that show Home Improvement, which I believe was on right around the same time. I think it was on, but this was his first leading role in a film. He went through over four hours of makeup to play the part of Santa, and this included wearing a fat suit. And of course, he had to wear this fat suit in the middle of summer. So this would cause him to get scratches, he had a rash, an infection, and they ended up having a time limit of six hours for him to wear the suit because it didn't get good ventilation. So they kept having to up and up the air conditioning that was used and get like better quality air conditioning because he was so uncomfortable in this costume. 
In older releases of The Santa Claus, Tim Allen makes a remark at one point in the film, and he says something involving the line. Like, he has a line, and he says, 1-800-SPANK-ME in the line. Um, I can't remember this part. I haven't seen this movie in a bit, so I'm curious if that line is still in there or not. But that was actually a real number. And so after watching the movie, children were curious about it. They would call it. You know, they'd have their parents or grandparents call it. But it was a real number for a sex line. (laughs) So people started calling and complaining. And Disney said that they were going to purchase this line in order to shut it down and discontinue it. And then they changed the line for future releases. So there's a scene in the movie where Charlie, who is the son of Tim Allen's character, is telling his class that his dad is Santa, and most of the kids in the class are laughing. But if you look closely, there is a child in the class that has elf ears, and he is the only child not to laugh. So a couple things from The Santa Claus 2, which came out in 2002. It's rated G and has a 5.7 on IMDb, and this is a sequel to The Santa Claus. Tim Allen had to stay in character around the child actors because many of them believed that he was actually the real Santa Claus, so he couldn't you know, act like himself. He had to pretend he was the real Santa Claus in order to not upset or disappoint them. And then in terms of the Santa Claus realm of these movies, there's also the Santa Claus 3, and there's even a show that came out last year called The Santa Clauses. And it has a decent rating on IMDb, surprisingly. I feel like I tried to watch it, but I only probably watched like half an episode, so I can't say whether it's good or bad. But yeah, I don't know if there's going to be a second season or what's going on with that, but I thought that was interesting because the original movie came out in 1994. See what I mean with all of these sequels and remakes and stuff like that? The next movie is Jingle All the Way. This came out in 1996. It's rated PG and it has a 5.7 on IMDb. This is about a father who vows to get his son a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas. However, every store is sold out, and he must travel all over town and compete with everybody else in order to find one. Now, this isn't like the best Christmas movie of all time. (laughs) It's not really, I don't know if it's like really a Christmas classic. But I did think that there was some interesting information about this one. This movie was actually inspired by the Cabbage Patch Kids craze that happened during 1983. So the Cabbage Patch Kids were extremely popular. All the kids wanted one for Christmas, and so parents and guardians were looking for them, but they were very scarce. So there was riots that were breaking out in stores. There was parents that were willing to drive hundreds of miles to buy them. And it was just crazy because, you know, all the kids wanted them, but there weren't that many available. Now, interestingly, when this movie came out in 1996, another craze happened this same time, 1996 Christmas season involving a different toy, Tickle Me Elmo, (laughs) was very popular, and the day after Thanksgiving, they actually sold out of all of the toys. So they decided to release more of them, and they released 600,000 more, and of course, this started people going crazy, trying to buy them, and even though they had released more, they were still hard to find. There was even a Tickle Me Elmo that was bought for 7,000, actually over $7,000, in Denver, Colorado, There was a Midnight Madness sale in Canada on December 14th, where they had some Tickle Me Elmos, and a huge crowd of over 300 people showed up. They were stampeding through the aisles, and an employee actually got injured. Like, to the point, I think he had, like, ribs broken or something like that. So, one more little fact about this movie is that Sinbad, who's one of the characters in the movie, improvised most of his lines, and Arnold Schwarzenegger actually improvised most of his responses to him. 
Next, we have Elf, which came out in 2003. It's rated PG, and it has a 7.1 on IMDb. And this is about Buddy, who is raised as an elf, and he travels from the North Pole to New York City to meet his biological father. I actually hadn't seen this movie until last year. If I had seen it, I hadn't really watched it. You know, like somebody had it on, but I wasn't really watching it. But I finally watched it last year. And, you know, it's not my favorite movie, but it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I don't know why I had never bothered watching it before, but I did watch it finally. For this movie, it was Will Ferrell's first leading role, which I thought that was interesting. I would have thought he had had leading roles before this, but I feel like the movie is older than it seems. Zoe Deschanel is in it as well. She has blonde hair in it. I'm not sure what role she had before this film, but I believe this was probably one of her earlier films. In the shower scene where she's singing a Christmas song and then Will Ferrell sings along with her, <laughs> to her surprise, was actually not in the original script. But once the director, John Favreau, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, realized that Zoe Deschanel was a good singer, he thought it would be a good addition because he thought that her voice was so nice and it gave the film a magical feel. So there is actually no CGI used in this film to make Buddy look bigger when he was in the presence of the other elves. They didn't want to use CGI or special effect, and instead they just used forced perspective, and I believe this was done because they wanted the movie to have an old, classic kind of feel to it. So there's a scene where Buddy the elf makes all of these elaborate Christmas decorations in a store that he's working in, and those Christmas decorations took weeks to construct. So there's a scene where Buddy fights with a mall Santa Claus, and they actually had to film that in one take because they couldn't rebuild all of the stuff again, and it had to be done just one time. So luckily, it seems that they got it. When Will Ferrell was walking through the Lincoln Tunnel in his elf costume, there was actually several minor traffic accidents <laughs> because people were so surprised. So I don't think anyone got hurt, but... He was just startling to people, and I actually think that this next thing is hilarious. So on the last day of filming, the director and Will Ferrell ran through the streets of New York City with Will Ferrell dressed as his character of Buddy the Elf, and he would just go up to random people and interact with them. So for instance, he runs up to a guy who's in a red sweatshirt and red sweatpants and a red beanie, and he calls him Santa. <laughs> And there's a man waving down a taxi, and he's just, like, waving back at him. Now, those scenes were not actors. They were actually just having him run through the streets of New York and interact with random people. And then afterwards, they would go up to them and ask for their permission to use it in the film. So I just thought that was really funny. So Buddy the Elf eats a ton of sugar in the film, and he eats, like, spaghetti covered in maple syrup and Pop-Tarts and candy and just, like, disgusting. So when Will Ferrell ate all of that the first time, they had to film it twice because he got sick. <laughs> so he was often sick from all of the sugary food he ate during the filming. He would have headaches. He would have trouble sleeping. And he ended up turning down $29 million to be in a sequel in 2014. And he said, quote, absolutely not. I just think it would look slightly pathetic if I tried to squeeze back in the elf tights. Buddy, the middle-aged elf. <laughs> the next movie is Love Actually. This also came out in 2003. It's rated R, and it has a 7.6 on IMDb. The premise, it follows the lives of eight very different couples in dealing with their love lives in various loosely interrelated tales, all set during a frantic month before Christmas in London, England. And I might have a few more facts for this one than the other movies, and that's just because it's one of my favorites. I love this movie, so I'm sorry if you don't, or if you haven't seen it, but we're going to get into it. 
So there are actually four other storylines filmed for the movie that didn't get included in the final movie, and I would love to see those. And I don't know if they were like fully filmed. I think one of the storylines was fully filmed, but they did have to cut them for varying reasons. So the first one was a lesbian partnership of a headmistress and her partner who was dying. Another was about two mothers living in Kenya that didn't like their daughter's fiancés, which I feel like that would have been a funny one. And the two others, one was a schoolgirl who falls in love with her female friend, and the other involves a girl in a wheelchair trying to find love. And that's really all the information I could find on that. But I would love to have seen those, especially if they were fully filmed. They should put out, like, those (laughs) storylines. A special edition where they add that in. Emma Thompson, she's in the film. I forget the name of her character, but she's the one who is with the guy who plays Snape in Harry Potter, you know, Alan Rickman. That's her husband, and he's basically having an affair. But she wore a fat suit for the film, which I didn't realize that. Because she's not, like, fat in the film. She's just, like, normal size. But I guess she was wearing a fat suit for the film. And she said that she could relate to her character because she had been cheated on by her former husband. When casting the role of Sarah, and that's the woman who has this big crush on this man in her office named Carl. She's, like, obsessed with him. Um, When casting her role, the writer and director Richard Curtis auditioned a lot of actresses, and after all of them, he kept saying, I want someone like Laura Linney. And finally, the casting director snapped and said, you know what, fine, get Laura Linney. And so she auditioned for the role, and she did get it. And Laura Linney says that she wishes her character did not pick up the phone when the character Carl was in her apartment. So if you've seen the film, then you know what I'm talking about, and I'm with her on that one. The footage at the beginning of this movie takes place in an airport, and they're just talking about love being all around, and there's just different people hugging and being excited to see each other. So that was actually real footage. They went there, and they recorded things that they thought would work in the movie, and then they would go ask for permission afterwards. So I just think that's really sweet, and I always think about that when I'm watching the movie for the hundredth time. um, (laughs) Definitely watch it once a year. Not gonna lie. Chris Marshall, who plays Colin, and he travels to America. I forget if it's like Missouri or Michigan, but he travels to some random state in America, not like New York City or anything like that, because he, you know, can't get any romantic action in England, and he thinks that he will be considered exotic if he goes somewhere else. So he travels to America, and there is a scene where he's with, I believe it's five, you know, American women, and they go back to their place, and you can see they're undressing him and stuff. They show it like through the window, so you don't really see it. But I guess they filmed that scene. It took 21 takes to film it. And Chris Marshall said he had such a good time filming that scene and the fact that it took so many takes that he actually returned his paycheck because he said he didn't need it as he was just, you know, so happy with (laughs) the filming process of that. Hugh Grant, who plays the British Prime Minister, gives a speech when the American president is visiting And that speech, you know, he's saying basically they're not on good terms. Uh, He doesn't like this guy. And that was in reference to the British prime minister's relationship at the time with President George W. Bush. If you haven't seen the movie, you've probably seen the scene from the movie, or at least, you know, a parody of the scene where Andrew Lincoln, the guy from The Walking Dead, is holding up different like cardboard papers, um, poster board, I guess you would call it, basically trying to profess his love towards his best friend's new wife. Uh, And I think he says something like, you are perfect to me. But anyways, it's seen as romantic and it's 
an iconic scene from the film. I feel like even if you haven't seen it, you probably know this scene. But he wrote the cards himself with his own handwriting that he shows Kira Knightley at her home because they had originally done it for him, but he's like, I mean, I, I can do that. So <laughs> he did. Now he says that he thought his character was exhibiting borderline stalking behavior. And looking back on his character in the film, he thinks that his character could have been done better in his unrequited love for his best friend's new wife, uh, because they really just, he thinks they made him seem really creepy. <laughs> so speaking of Kira Knightley, in the film, she's actually a lot younger than I think they make her out to be, or they make her seem to be. And a co-star in the film, Thomas Brody Sangster, he plays the young boy in the film who I believe is 13 at the time. He seems younger, but he plays a 13-year-old in that film. And Kara Knightley, in real life, is only five years older than him in this film. So just kind of interesting. Now, that actor, Thomas Brody's Sangster, would actually play a 13-year-old again in Game of Thrones, but it would be eight years later. So I think he just has a young look to him. And lastly, the character of Natalie, and that's Hugh Grant's love interest in the film, is played by Martine... McCutcheon? McCutcheon? And originally, the character of Natalie was named Martine, but they changed it to Natalie before Martine McKitchen McCutcheon was cast. I just thought that was kind of weird, right? I don't know. Kind of strange. The next movie is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. This came out in 2000. It is rated PG and has a 6.3 on IMDb, so clearly I'm a little off of my chronological order. This would come before Love Actually, and Elf, so I'm sorry, I apologize, but I don't think it really matters. And the premise for this says, On the outskirts of Whoville lives a green, revenge-seeking Grinch who plans to ruin Christmas for all of the citizens of the town. So the Grinch suit that Jim Carrey wears in the film was made out of yak hair that was dyed green and sewn onto a spandex suit. <laughs> Eddie Murphy and Jack Nicholson were also considered for the role. So back to that costume, though, Jim Carrey hated that costume. It took hours to put on. Some places I see it took over eight hours daily, and I believe that would be putting it on and taking it off, just the makeup, the Grinch makeup, the costume, the whole look. Others, I saw that it took two hours to put on and one hour to take off, but he said that it felt like he was being buried alive every single day, and he actually went through some torture endurance training that the CIA use in order to help him prepare for that experience of having the Grinch makeup put on every day. He spent 92 days in that Grinch costume, and it was so intense that on the first day of shooting, he was so upset and angry that he kicked a hole through the wall of his trailer, and he told the director that he didn't want to do the movie anymore. At one point, the director, Ron Howard, put the entire Grinch shoot and makeup on because he felt bad that Jim Carrey had to do it every day, so he was trying to show some support, and he decided to direct the day while wearing, you know, the full ensemble. But Jim Carrey was angry when he saw him, and he was thinking that he was a stunt double for him. He was like, what? He looks nothing like me, which he sounds like he was angry a lot during this movie, but I guess that fits the role of the Grinch. Now, no movie has featured so many characters in heavy makeup since The Wizard of Oz in 1939. Now, I don't know if there's been movies since this one. Like, none come to mind, but that doesn't really mean anything. But this was, there was so much makeup used for all of the characters, you know, the people that lived in Whoville. And Whoville, which was the town, that set was built right behind uh, the Universal Studios Bates Motel, <laughs> which is an interesting pairing. But people would take tours there, 
And at one point, Jim Carrey ran out of the Bates Motel wearing a dress and holding a knife. And the tour just kind of like went along. Like it just went on. I mean, like it just continued. Like they're kind of just like, oh. And nobody recognized that he was Jim Carrey. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was funny. It was the top selling movie of 2000. Okay, so the next movie is The Polar Express. And this came out in 2004. It's rated G and it has a 6.6 on IMDb which actually kind of surprises me. I would think the rating would be a little bit higher. So this movie, on Christmas Eve, a young boy embarks on a magical adventure to the North Pole on the Polar Express while learning about friendship, bravery, and the spirit of Christmas. So for the Polar Express, there is a lot of Tom Hanks going on. He's very involved in the entirety of the movie. (laughs) But Tom Hanks and Josh Hutcherson did all of the motion capture work, and to be honest, until I was looking into this movie, I had no idea that Josh Hutcherson was involved in it at all, but apparently he was. Neither of them did the voice for the main character, but they both did the majority of the motion capture work for the film. And actually, when this film came out, the way that it was done with that motion capture, a lot of people actually thought it was kind of creepy. I hadn't seen this movie when it first came out. It took me a while to see it, And I remember seeing previews and stuff and thinking it did seem like it looked a little creepy, but maybe not creepy, but odd. I don't know. But I do think it's actually a very endearing movie, and now I like it a lot. So the main character's name is never actually mentioned in the movie, which I didn't realize. If you had asked me that, I would have thought he had a name. (laughs) But he's just referred to as Hero Boy, and then the other little girl on the train is referred to as Hero Girl. And there's barely anyone in the film who's actually identified by their name. Billy is the only person on the Polar Express, on that train in the movie, who's identified by name. Which when you watch the movie, you wouldn't even realize or pick up on, or at least I didn't. I don't think it's like an obvious thing at all. It's just kind of interesting. You don't need it. Like You don't need the names in this movie. So the Polar Express movie is based off of a book, and the writer of that book also wrote Jumanji and Zathora. So I knew the writer of Jumanji had also written the book of Zathora, but I didn't know that it was the same writer for the Polar Express, and that interested me. I didn't realize the same writer wrote all three books. I mean, they're all very interesting. And finally, Tom Hanks, which, you know, like I said, Tom Hanks, there's a lot of him going on in this movie. He plays six of the characters in the movie. He did motion capture movement for Hero Boy. He voices the Hero Boy's dad. The Conductor, Santa, The Narrator, The Ghost on the Train, and there's an Ebenezer Scrooge puppet. He also does the voice for that. It's really like just Tom Hanks as all the characters. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure why that is, but that's how it was done. And yeah, you can tell. I feel like you can definitely tell. It's not like a secret in the movie. You know, his characters are a bit different, but you can tell that it's him. At least I think so. So the next and final movie I'm going to talk about today, just because I wish I could include more, but this would be way too long, The Holiday, which came out in 2006. It's rated PG-13, and it is rated 6.9 on IMDb. So we have almost all ratings for these movies. We have one that's an R, a a lot of PGs, a couple Gs, and now a PG-13. Definitely don't have... Oh, we also have a not rated, but we definitely don't have any X rated if that's still a thing. But this movie is when two women, troubled with guy problems, swap homes in each other's countries, where they each meet a local guy and fall in love. (laughs) This is, again, these are premises from IMDb. 
I don't know if I would describe the movie that way. I guess that's what the movie's about, but <laughs> anyways. This film was written specifically with Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black in mind. So those are the four main actors in the film, and it was written specifically for them. And Jack Black actually has said that this was his best performance in a film. Also surprising. Now, Kate Winslet and Rufus Sewell, I think that's how you say it, or Sewell, I'm not sure. So he's the actor that plays, I believe his name is Jasper in this movie, and sorry if that's not correct, but I'm pretty sure it is. So Kate Winslet plays the character of Iris, and Iris works with this man Jasper, and she's in love with him, hopelessly in love with him, and they've dated, or at least they've had some kind of a thing. And he's already kind of broken her heart once before. He has a new woman he's with, and they're at some party, and I mean, I shouldn't be giving away spoilers, but basically he breaks her heart again in the film, like right towards the beginning. So they had actually dated previously and had a real romance, you know, in real life, which makes it watching the film to me a little more interesting next time I watch it because I did not know that. So I wonder if there's any, you know, real tension between them or not. Maybe they had, you know, a very amicable breakup or whatnot. But I wonder if there's any real tension that comes through in the film from their actual real-life relationship that had transpired before filming this at some point. I don't know when, but at some point it did. The website that the characters Iris and Amanda, you know, Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz, used to swap houses in this movie is actually a real website, homeexchange.com, and it's still up and running despite this movie coming out a while ago. And after this movie came out, exchanging houses became much more popular, which makes sense, <laughs> uh, became much more of a thing. So Iris's cottage in the movie, which is like this cute English cottage, they make it out to be like it's the worser part of the deal of the exchange because the other character lives in, I believe it's LA, and she's a movie producer and her house is basically a mansion. But Iris's cottage is kind of like this dilapidated, supposedly, cottage, but it's actually really adorable and <laughs> it's, you know, quaint and, and it's just so cute. But that cottage was actually built for the film because they wanted to save money by doing this, which I'm not sure how that works. Maybe it's pricier to use a real location. I'm not sure on that. But it was built for the movie from scratch in the middle of a field. <laughs> and then I said Jack Black said that this was his best performance, but Cameron Diaz said that this movie was her most physical movie because of all the running she had to do. <laughs> I don't know if she was saying that as a joke, but then I thought about it, and she does run a lot in high heels through the snow, so maybe she wasn't joking at all. <laughs> So those are all the holiday movies I'm going to be talking about today and some weird or interesting facts that go along with them. I wanted to quickly share my favorite holiday films. I feel like it's a difficult decision, but I do have a top three, I guess, <laughs> with some runners-up. <laughs> but the runner-ups would be Home Alone, which I've grown to love a lot more nowadays. And I did love it as a kid, too. I'm not going to say I didn't, but I wouldn't have like put it in my top you know, not that I've always had a running top list of holiday movies, but <laughs> I don't think I would have put it in there. But Home Alone and a movie that I love watching every year is just a really nostalgic one to me, and that's To Grandmother's House We Go, because it's a Mary-Kate and Ashley film from way back in the day, and I grew up being a big fan of them as a kid. So that's another one that I really love. But the top three for me would be The Holiday, and that movie is funny to me because it's not, it's looked at as like, you know, a Christmas holiday movie, but they don't really refer to Christmas much in the film. They do a little bit, but they don't make a big deal out of it. So that's one of them. 
The other one is Love Actually. I love that movie. I've seen it so many times. I just, I don't know, there's something about that movie. I just really adore it. And the final movie for me that I love and I watch it every year right around Christmas, whether that's like Christmas Eve, on Christmas itself, is Prancer, which is an older movie from I believe the late 80s about a girl who lives with her dad. Her mother has passed away and she believes that she has found Santa's real reindeer, Prancer. I don't know, there's something about that movie. I really love it. So those are my top three. Let's move on to some Did You Know? know? And this is the point in the episode where I share some random facts that relate or somewhat relate to today's episode. I feel like this entire episode was just random facts, but I'm going to include a few more. One. The movie Die Hard, which people debate whether that's a Christmas movie at all. I would say that it is. And it came out in 1988. Bruce Willis's character... He and his stunt double had to wear fake rubber feet because the character was walking around barefoot for most of the film, and he was walking through glass, and that was their way of preventing any injury. And I just, what is a fake rubber foot? Like, how does one wear that? Is it, I don't know. I would like to see more on this and learn a little more about fake rubber feet because I, I don't know. Are they hard to walk in? I'm just picturing like an enormous fake rubber foot and it's probably nothing like that really, but it's what I'm picturing. (laughs) Two, according to a survey done in December 2022, the most watched Christmas film in the United States was, can you guess, Home Alone. The second most watched was How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is the Jim Carrey version. Three, when it comes to top grossing holiday films, This was a little bit interesting to me. When I first looked at the list, I was actually really surprised by the number one film, like really surprised. But then I was like, there's no way that was adjusted for inflation. There's no way that that's the number one film of all time. It just can't be. And looking further into it, when adjusted for inflation, the number one film did change. So I'm going to tell you that first. So again, when when adjusted for inflation, the number one holiday film of all time Actually, I'll start at the number four. So the top grossing number four holiday film, made the most money, is Home Alone 2. Number three is How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Number two is The Grinch that came out in 2018. So the most recent one, at least the most recent that I know of. And number one, drumroll, is Home Alone. So when I originally looked, The Grinch that came out in 2018 was the top grossing of all time, and that just surprised me. I mean, I've seen it. It's an okay movie. I I don't know. It's fine. (laughs) It was fine. It wasn't great. But having Home Alone at the top makes a lot more sense. I'm guessing that movie, I don't know, even when adjusted for inflation, I'm still kind of surprised that the 2018 Grinch is up so high. I don't know. I'm not sure. What do you think about that? (laughs) It surprises me. Although, as I say this, I went to the theater and saw it, so I definitely contributed to that. And again, I didn't like dislike the movie. It was fine. It was good. It's just not what I would think would be the number one of all time. Three. Hallmark Christmas movies have 42 new movies coming out for the 2023 season, which some of them have already been released. And in total... There are more than 300 movies that Hallmark has put out that are Christmas or holiday films. And they only started releasing these movies in 2009 when they released nine movies, and each year they've just added more. 
And in 2019, they also started adding Hanukkah films as well. Now, I'm not really one to watch Hallmark movies, but that's a lot of movies, and it doesn't surprise me. I feel like the Hallmark Christmas movie thing has become very popular. I don't personally watch them. I mean, I've seen them here and there. I just find them to be kind of boring, honestly. But yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I feel like Hallmark holiday movies are very popular. And it is nice that they have all these different movies coming out. It's it's crazy, though. That's a lot of films to be releasing just for one season. <laughs> Four. A Merry Scottish Christmas, which is a Hallmark movie that just came out, beat out every cable news program on television the week that it premiered, and that week was the one that was leading up to Thanksgiving. It had 3.3 million viewers for the Saturday night premiere, and the only thing that it ranked below was ESPN-related coverage. (laughs) So these movies, see what I mean? Like, they are very popular. So when looking at the full week of viewership that week that this movie was very high, the top-rated networks went like this. So number one was Fox News, number two was MSNBC, three was ESPN, and four was Hallmark. So I don't think Hallmark's typically as high on the list, but around the holidays, there they are. (laughs) And their movies get a lot of views, which makes sense as to why they continue to, you know, push out so many of them. Five, continuing on talking about Hallmark holiday movies, they actually faced criticism with previous holiday films when it came to Jewish characters in their films. So a lot of people were saying that they would make the Jewish characters in their Christmas films seem clueless about Christmas traditions, and stereotyped them, so after this backlash, they started adding Hanukkah movies to their holiday releases. And there's one coming out on December 10th, so a little bit after this episode comes out. It actually sounds good, and like I said, I don't really watch Hallmark holiday movies. I will, you know, if one looks interesting. But this one is called Round and Round, and it's about a woman who keeps reliving her parents' Hanukkah party, which, I don't know, for some reason I like movies, like holiday movies especially, where people just relive the day over and over again, like they can't get out of it. So to me, this one sounds good, and I feel like I'm definitely going to watch it. Six. Not every Christmas movie is for children. There are definitely some Christmas movies out there that are rated R, and here's a few of them. Violent Night which I believe just came out this year, and I have to be honest, I just have no desire to see that. (laughs) A Bad Mom's Christmas, Office Christmas Party, and of course, Die Hard. There's also a whole genre of Christmas horror movies. I don't typically tend to watch those. I'm not, you know, opposed to them. It just, I don't really, I don't know, just like a weird mix. I'm kind of intrigued to see the movie Krampus, though, that came out in 2015, because I just did an episode about Krampus, and I was listening to a podcast that I like recently, and they were talking about the Krampus movie and said that it was good, and there was a twist at the end, and I love anything that has a twist at the end, so now I kind of want to see it, so I'm probably going to at some point if I have access to it, (laughs) but yeah, so that's pretty much it for this episode, all about holiday films, holiday movies, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to Kind of Strange Podcast. Don't forget to follow along on social media at Kind of Strange PC on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love it if you could rate this podcast and leave a review. All sources for this episode are listed on the Kind of Strange website. The link is provided in the show notes. Until next time, don't forget to keep a lookout.
for anything that might be a little weird, a bit odd, or kind of strange.